0: It's the Funk House Podcast with Mike and Muskie.
1: What's going on It is 9 o'clock It is Sunday night It is the Crack House Podcast uh, My name is Michael Sullivan Joining me as always In the Crack House With you Crackheads Chris Muskie Muscolino What's up dude
0: Hola Miguel, Hola Crackheads What's going on man Happy weekend for everybody
1: <coughs> Yeah Everything's going good. I uh, did Broadway Comedy Club this week. Great show. Uh, A lot of my friends turned out and uh, a lot of people in stand up turned out. It was a good time. A lot of people. Um, I think I had a very good set. Um, I got told by the guy running the show it was a good set. So I just got my tape. Uh, If you want to look at it, you can go on our YouTube page and check it out. Like I said, it was a it was a good time. Glad everyone who showed up. My brothers, Tommy, Louie. Who else showed up? Jason, thanks. And uh, just all the boys. Riyadh, Mac O'Hara was there. Um, Joey Rosenzweig had a good set. Matt Snover, all those people that decided to show up and show support was really nice. And Brian Kennedy, who I haven't seen in years. Brian, thanks for showing up, man.
0: Nice, uh, nice Italian fellow, huh?
1: Yeah, Brian's a good dude, very good guy. Really appreciated uh, seeing him there. So, check
0: out the short, everybody. So, uh, Mike's pretty damn funny. Check it out, little five-minute short that he put up on the YouTube page. You know, I'm sure you you can find it on the Twitter and uh, the other uh, the other social media outlets. But uh, Mike's exploding here, man. We've got a star on our hands. When half of the crack house podcast exploding. Uh, we definitely got to get out, uh, myself included, and, and catch one of these shows in person. Uh, hope it uh, hope it continues for you, Mike. Thank you,
1: thank you. Like I said, I want to thank everyone that showed up, it was a great time. Um, uh, what's, uh, uh, what's new with you?
0: Speaking of great times, you got my uh, got my little backboard here the Body Barn closing after 50 years. And, uh, wanted to bring it up and, uh, you know, it's been such a part of my life anyways, well, not in the last 15 years, but I would say from the time that we, I got to college, Mike, until the time I left college and actually got married, you know, I made about two, three trips out to the barn, maybe per year, usually on the big holidays. And, you know, for a guy like me, you know, coming from Astoria like you, um, you know that was like the end of the earth for me. You know, back when I when I hit St. Oh, yeah. John's, and
1: yeah, that's no out no, there, no man's land.
0: It just opened up so many things for me in terms of, you know, I've been to a lot of bars throughout the country and stuff, a lot of different places, but that place is pretty unique. I'm sure maybe different places like this exist elsewhere in the country. I just never experienced it, but um, I can tell you, man, uh, the place has been around 50 years. It's got a huge reputation. I actually met my wife the weekend I went out to go one year with my buddy, Joe. Uh, we went to a place, we went to the barn first. And the barn's like one of these places, Mike, that I, I don't know if you, how often you went there, if, if at all, but, you know, it's one of those places that, you know, it's a lot of young kids, you know, by the time I was 24, 25, I was well past my prime there. Actually, when I met my wife, I was close to 28, 29 years old. So it was well, well past my expiration date. But um, we went to the barn that night and we ended up spilling over to the to the beach bar, which is where I met my wife Audra. And, uh, you know, the barn, you know, to me, it was, it was symbolic of like expanding my world, you know, for guys like you and me coming up, growing up in Astoria, you know, we got a chance to, you know, maybe travel when we were kids, you know, with, with, with John and the Boy Scouts and stuff to different places. But, you know, the barn was like one of those places where you would just meet so much of a different crowd you know you get rich kids poor kids you know you get all races and creeds out there tons of beer flowing you know it, it was a very unique spot and it's a shame the guy uh, i guess the guy's name is tony tony gagliano he passed away i guess maybe 2 3 years ago and they put the place up for sale i don't know if they were into uh, the problems with with covid and stuff but apparently it got sold I, I don't know who bought it out i don't know if they intend on keeping it a bar my guess is that's prime real estate in the middle of Hampton Bay. So, you know, my guess is that place is not long for the world. But, you um, instead, you know, it's you know uh, a couple of, week, couple of weeks ago, we talked about, you know, St. Patrick's Day. I had Gantry's Pub in my back, you know, in my background. And this is just another one of those places from my childhood or, you know, young adulthood that, you know, really had a great time. And i was just curious, did you ever go out there? Or
1: I think I went out there maybe three times in total in my life. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, it, it it seemed like there were two types of people that went there. There were people that went there once or twice just to check it out. Right. And then you had those these hardcore fanatics that were out there like every weekend from when it opened till it closed in the summer uh, in the end of the fall there. And yeah, it's like, like you said, I didn't know it was 50 years it had been open. I knew it had been open at least 25, 30 years. But wow, 50 years. And like you said, it is it's prime real estate out there. No one just wants to keep a big open tent. Someone's going st- <laughs> to whoever bought it is going to sell it for probably five times what they paid for because someone's going to put oh, a, huge, 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 a huge man, a huge mansion on it or something or, or make it into some real high end luxury place. So R.I.P. P. Body Born. I'm sure I'm sure you. uh You were the, the cause for fun and sadness for many people throughout
0: the years, so. So many stories I could tell you. Yeah, about place, I, I,
1: I mean, yeah, it's yeah, it's one of those places. Like, like you always do, going out there, everyone's like, "Oh, you're going to the body barn.
0: Wear the worst pair of shoes you got. Don't wear flip flops. Don't do the, you know." The uniform was construction boots and cargo shorts. That was really what you wore. And I joke with my wife, who went out there often. She went to Southampton College, which was a hop, skip, and a jump away. And um, you know, it was like one of those, one of those. Type of places where you go out there Dressed like the beginning of summer Especially around Memorial Day And inadvertently It always was crappy weather It would always was like a day like today So it would start off like really nice You'd go there on that Sunday You'd wait for like uh, an hour or two to get into the place Some cases maybe more And they had the big yellow tent And you're thinking all right, you got your shorts The girls got the tank tops going And the Daisy Dukes and stuff And by like 4 or 5 o'clock Mike Without fail you're looking for a sweatshirt you're like you're yeah okay. you know, anybody got a sweatshirt anybody got a hoodie and a lot of times it rained and a lot of times you froze your ass off and ended up in another institution out there called the hampton bay's diner where all sorts of mayhem used to go down i'm sure macho can say a word or two about that and the others and uh it's another character i'm going to try to get on the show in the next couple of weeks there's a guy i'm not going to mention his name. uh macho made a good point off air to me so um it was a guy that we went to school with at St. John's. Um, he looked like Rod Stewart and he's in machos fraternity. He's a couple years older and he, he put something on Facebook today where he actually was on the credits of the body bomb album. So he had a record label and I guess he had a song, which I played one of them, you know, that used to be like the soundtrack, the body Bomb soundtrack. And, uh, you know, we called him Rod Stewart, Mike, because he looked like Rod Stewart. And he was like one of those type of characters that wherever you were, you know, on a big holiday weekend, whether you're in the city, or the island, or in South Shore, or like, uh, the uh, the Jersey South Shore, this guy appeared. And whenever you saw him, it's like, hey, Rod Stewart. And for like years, I didn't even know the guy's first name. But apparently, he he had a record label. And he was on, I guess, the Body Barn put out an album with all their big hits, like American Pie and don't stop believing. And you know, for the people that went out there and you know remember it, there used to be like maybe fifteen to twenty five songs that if you went out there, you were guaranteed to hear. So he's an interesting character. He, you know, he went to St. John's. He knows a lot of the people that I know, probably that you know too. And uh, I'm sure, listen, you know, walking the beat for twenty plus years in New York City, you probably came across this guy. And if I showed you a picture of him, you probably know who I'm talking about. You know, he's like Rots, one of those magical characters. It.
1: Was he naked Rod Stewart, like the naked cowboy or just was no, he like dude, a guy? He was... In, was he like a guy in Times Square? Was he like one of those no, kind
0: of dudes? He looked like Rod Stewart, like that wasn't his name, obviously. But I used to remember, like when I first got of age and start to go bars in the city, you know, I got to St. John's and I didn't really have ID to get into a lot of places. And I just remember this guy was everywhere. Like he was up at Bear Mountain. He was in the Hamptons at the Bordy Barn. He was at Dublin Pub. He was at Gantries. He was wherever. On a night like Thanksgiving Eve, this guy appeared, you know, you could bar hop to like five, six spots. And this guy was there. He'd show up three o'clock in the morning. We had a guy too, in my fraternity who passed away. Same deal. Like one of those guys. And I'm sure in the police department, you probably have like guys like that, that wherever there was a party or a place to be, you know, that guy magically showed up, you know, you're like, how the hell did he get there? You know, he was on, he was on patrol like three hours ago. And all of a sudden he's partying with us at, you know, XYZ bar. And that was this kind of guy's M.O. But we called him Rod Stewart because he physically resembled the guy to the point where, like, I remember one night I was trying to get into, like, the tunnel or the limelight or one of these big places down in the, uh, you know, down in the city. And uh, he was walking by with a bunch of couple girls and I couldn't get into the place. And uh, I was like, yo, Rod Stewart. And the guy turned around and he's like, oh, Muskrat, come on with me. And he got me into the place. You know, the guy was just like, I don't know if people thought he was Rod Stewart, like the balances and stuff, but he he had carte blanche of the place. So he's a pretty interesting fellow. Hopefully, maybe we can get, get him on the show. I sent him out a little message on Facebook and uh, he's a pretty interesting uh, fellow. But uh, RIP to the Bordy Bun. You know, um, so many good stories, so many good places from their knuckle sandwiches and the hot dogs and the dollar finger food that you get there uh, to the stories. You know, it just... It goes on and on and on. Just another place, man. You know, half a century. You know, kind of like us. (laughs) Out the door.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's like anything, man. Like, yeah, you can't believe, like, oh, this place is gone now, man. Like, there's so many... uh, Like, when I worked in the Bronx, from when I worked up there to when I left, how many bars you would hang out in. Like, there was one bar uh, called Pauline's. And... It was a known cop bar up in the Bronx. It was actually it was maybe 100 feet away from one of the precincts up in the Bronx, the 50th precinct It used to be right on the corner. And they were known for cashing your check on payday. (laughs) This bar on payday, I'm talking, you know, they did it for years. When I remember in the early 90s, early to mid 90s going up there, the bar itself would have over two hundred thousand dollars in cash on them. Okay. because cops would just keep coming in and cashing their checks and they recently it sold maybe like five to ten years ago the place but it was one of those places i can't remember you know like i don't know how many paydays i spent in that place hanging out with all my friends till you know two three four o'clock in the morning
0: yeah exactly. and
1: and like you realize and all the characters that walked in through that place from the neighborhood and everything else
0: yeah that's exactly it you know and the thing with this place, this body bond places was, it was, you know, for guys like us coming from a story, it was a two hour ride, Mike. So yeah. I can't tell you how many times where I went out there, it's like I got a ride or I drove out there and it's like, dude, the cops were extremely aggressive to the point where like, even a guy like you or my friend, Joe, you didn't want to drive because those guys had no sympathy for. anyone. no,
1: that's their whole. That. Yeah. Like you got to realize out there, two things. One They hire summer help, which is like the guy's a school teacher all year, and now he takes like a twelve-hour course, and uh, now he's got a gun and a shield, and they gave him all this power. So, and the state troopers
0: were ruthless. Yeah, over like,
1: dude, you're an easy hit. You don't live out there. Oh, you're done, buddy.
0: You know, like I can't tell you the times we drove out there. Me and Joe, and he's like. You know, uh, look, you're going to drive, you know, you're NYPD, you got your shield, you know, and stuff. And he's like, dude, that doesn't mean anything. You know, we get pulled over if I'm drinking and driving. I'm done out here. You know, they these guys, they don't cut you any breaks. Yeah. You know, it was 30 years so ago, like, so, you know, 25 some, years ago.
1: Like the further, like the further you get outside the city, the less you're, you know, your, uh, what's the word I want to use? Courtesy you're going to get kind of like dissipates. Like and especially too, men like they used to be a thing between like, you know, going really far upstate and state troopers.
0: Right, right.
1: Those guys, you know, hey, oh, and you know, some of them would just look at you and go, yeah, you're not in New York City right now. <laughs> so,
0: yeah. And you're not the first cop that's told me that, too. You know,
1: so I mean, I mean, I'm not shitting on the state troopers. They got a tough job. They're all like solo patrol. I would never want to do that. Um, but like I said, too, I mean, I, I mean, I know guys, too, that were like, why? What was the big deal? I was doing 95 on the highway. And the guy pulled me over and yelled at me. I'm like, well, maybe you shouldn't, you know,
0: you shouldn't be going 95 like uh, the end of Thelma and Louise. Dude, you know? what are you doing, dude? Um,
1: <laughs> but yeah. Um, I, I I don't know. I, I, I look at it as, you know, it's sad. The place is closing. You know, I, I bars are kind of like almost feel like they're going out Um, hmm.
0: I think it's regional, Mike. I mean, I can't. I don't know, man. I I think certain, like, I think certain places in the country. There's there's less and less people like drinking. It seems
1: like more kids just want to smoke weed than drink. Yeah,
0: Uh, you know. I can't see alcohol going away. And well, I mean,
1: see- okay, let me ask you this. You go, you do a lot of karaoke stuff still, right?
0: Yeah, once in a blue moon, show. Sure.
1: Is it younger kids in there when you're doing it, or is it like 35 and up?
0: I would probably tell you it's 30 and up, mostly 35 and up, mm-hmm. you know, and as I get older, and obviously I'm sure you see it too with your own kids and my kids, you know, you can tell when the kid is under 30. You know, you can tell when. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah you, yep. you know, the crowd is definitely more. It's more observable. Let's put it that way. So, like, yeah, when I do a karaoke thing, um, I would tell you for the most part, it's thirty-five and older. And
1: and now let me ask you this too. Okay, if you see people there at the bar that are like under thirty-five, under thirty, do you see a lot of them drinking like club soda and soda? and then running outside, like smoking weed and coming back in two
0: types of kids. One kid, what you just explained and the other kid who goes the opposite direction in a shit face and he's puking outside the bar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. I can see that. Yep. So it's one, one or the other, it's the kid that, like you said, smokes the weed or he's drinking a Zima or whatever the hell the, uh, the, uh, the, the alcohol of choices now, or you got the other kid who's going crazy and all of a sudden he's doing shots on the bar. And five minutes later, he's outside puking his head off or he's or he's hugging you because you're his best friend. That's yeah. how it was, you know, the 20, 30 years yeah. ago. But.
1: I think, though, that number, like like you said, though, that number seems to be it seems like it's decreasing more and more every year where it's like kids want to do more than just drink or do something other than drinking, because it seems like
0: the well, for the- guys like us, Mike, you got to remember, I mean, in the story in Forest Hills, right? I mean. A story where we grew up. I mean, I remember there being bars, but I don't remember them. You know, the big spots when we were kids were more the, the nightclubs, the Papagallos, the Silver Screens, you know, those places, you know, and then up on Hill yeah, the- Boulevard and stuff. And then even in Forest Hills, you know, I had buddies who grew up there as well. The, the, they were, that was much more of a pub-oriented place. So I think it's hit and miss. You know, if you're talking about a story in the city, I think you're dead on. I think you're absolutely right. You know, I think it's more club, more diners, you know, less pubs, you know, less that traditional Irish bar.
1: Well, I think it like you said, I think it depends on the neighborhood. Like Bell Boulevard has still has a ton of bars. That's right. I mean, you go into Astoria now and it's such a a younger demographic living there. If you go up Steinway, there's bars everywhere, man. You go in Steinway like 30th yeah. Avenue yeah. from like from probably like Steinway Street down to like 21st Street on like 30th Avenue, you'll you'll see a bar almost every block now or like some type of specialty tavern or tapas bar, stuff like that.
0: I just don't know. Um, I, I think it's really regional and I think it's hit and miss, man. I really do. I think like, if you go into an urban area, a city area, you know, I, I think you're right. I think you're dead on, man. I think the the traditional bar is probably, you know, going by the wayside or it's diminished. I do think in these rural areas and places like the Bordy Barn or on the island, and you got to remember the island is, you know, it's not the city, you know, but, you know, I've been out here 20 plus years. You know, I remember going out to Huntington back in the early nineties, the place has changed, you know, it's definitely gotten more urbanized and, you know, it's kind of going the way of the city too. Maybe like the Queens, you know, the Eastern part of Queens, uh, you know, type feel. And it's slowly filtering out and out, out East too. Um, I do think like, if you go to different places throughout the country, like I've been to Texas, I've been to Nashville. I mean, you go to New Orleans, obviously, there's, there's huge bars. And, you know, as far as the iconic bars, though, I mean, in the city, I, I think I think in New York State, I mean, this has got to be one of them, you know, right up there with McSorley's or, you know, places. Uh, uh,
1: it's a little, di- I think it's a little different. Like McSorley's is all closing in on what, 200 years old almost? Close to, you know, yeah. 170 something years old right now. This was just a place for like college kids to go drink. McSorley's was like Abraham Lincoln drank here. I think it's a little, History you know right what it is? Right. Well, you yeah. know what it is? The Body Barn was never a tourist trap because it's two hours outside the city. Whereas um, McSorley's is in Manhattan. People aren't visiting Manhattan to go like, I want to go get on a bus for two hours and go stand under a tent and drink. You
0: got to remember something, Mike. It, it was a tourist trap on the big holidays like Labor Day or Memorial Day because people traditionally from where we live or lived, they went out east or they went to the yeah, south but shore. No, yeah,
1: yeah, but that's because you had a house out there or you're renting a house out there. It's not like, all right, I'm just gonna go to the Body Barn. I
0: think,
1: for unl- unl- kids, un- unless and- you're piling in a car and you're like, yo, we're crashing, Joe's family has a house and they're gonna let us crash out there, right? Right? right or right, 10 right. guys are in on a house and we can crash there. I think that's a little bit de- like you're going out there. I-, I think you would go out to the Body Barn. As a mission like you were going out to the hamptons for the weekend right or your friend had a ha- or, or you had a house out there that's
0: right that's usually the way it worked but i do think it was some sort of a tourist trap you know for for college age kids you're right i don't think it was a you know a well-known place like McSawley's and stuff in that sense but i do think if you're in the hamptons and on a holiday weekend and i think you know there was a good chance you were going out to that place or you knew of that place and it just really depended what kind of class you were you know in terms of like if you were a middle class or low class kid you know, and you look at a party on Memorial Day weekend and get out of the city, you know, chances are you're probably hitting this place. If you're an upper crust person, you know, this is probably not high on your on your bucket list.
1: Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. That's the other thing. Like, like I said, as far as tourist trap, I mean, like, you're 35 years old, and you're in the Hamptons.
0: No, you, you,
1: yeah. you're not you're not going there. That That's basically yeah, yeah, what no, I, I
0: mean. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that to uh onto more endings um I think you caught the end of it and I caught the end of it too the end of Ozark what you think
1: um I don't know I don't I should we wait like two weeks and then just dissect the whole thing or what it's do you want
0: to do dude it's out there man you can stream it you know I'm sorry, okay folks.
1: all right folks listen spoiler alert, spoiler alert. listen we're going into the finale um I'll say right now wasn't impressed. I didn't I listen, we all know. OK, like we said, spoiler alert, folks. Three, two, one. No turning back. All right. I was Was I was. I upset. Ruth died. Yeah. Ruth gets killed.
0: <laughs>
1: I wasn't a fan. I thought Wendy was getting it. I re, I thought one of the kids might just snap and kill her.
0: I thought that. I well, thought that to an extent. I thought the, I thought the kid, uh, the, the boy was going to do something, which ultimately he did. And by the way, I hated that character, Mel, that private investigator. I'm so glad that, uh, you know, it was implied that he got it. I couldn't stand him. Hey, he was just, I don't know why. They, it seems like they didn't do enough with him. They didn't. But you know what he reminded me? I know you never watched the show. Or you didn't watch it towards the end. In all these movies, all these series about the anti-hero type guy, the white male anti-hero, whether it's Heisenberg or Tony Soprano or um, Jax from Sons of Anarchy um, or Vic Mackey, like we talked about last week, there's always this foil character that seems to be like they're not the main good guy, but they seem to be like chasing the white whale. That's Tony or that's uh, Heisenberg. You know, in Breaking Bad, it was his, it was his brother-in-law, you know, Hank. And I'll tell you what, this guy, Mel, just, he bothered me. It's like, dude, you were, I don't even remember what the hell he was hired for. I guess he was hired to, um, I guess, investigate. I don't even remember what the hell, the hell they brought him in. But towards the end, all he, all he kept on doing, I guess, was focusing in on.
1: He was uh, this- hired by the the woman that was the lawyer that gets executed. Right. He was hired by her husband to find her.
0: Yes, yes.
1: And then he stumbles upon everything going on.
0: But he ends up getting hired by Wendy's father to investigate the disappearance of the The brother. brother.
1: Yeah. So he basically solves it. Yeah. He knows what happens to Ben. And uh, the way it ends, the the finale scene is him showing up going, I'm going to expose your whole fucking family now. He goes, I got to be a cop and expose your family. And they try and buy him off. He says, no. The young son shows up with a shotgun and it fades to black. And all you hear is the gun go off. So he killed yeah. the cop. Yeah. The son killed the cop.
0: Yeah, I thought I thought it was Wendy or, or, or Marty that was going to get it. I didn't really see the girl coming. I thought she was going to get away like Jesse Pinkman in, in, uh in uh, Breaking Bad. And uh, I just didn't like the arc of the character with, with Mel. You know, it's like if you were a cop, right? And you got if you got kicked off the force and you got hired to by some lawyer to investigate, you know, some divorce doings, it's kind of a stri- stretch for me to, you know, for, you know, you want to get obviously back on the force. And now all of a sudden you're this high and mighty person who's going out of their way to piece two and two together. And I don't know. I just I thought he was. I thought he stuck his neck out way too much, just like Hank did at some point. In it's the TV, man. It's TV, <laughs> bro. That's what that's what it is. It's hey, a- macho. I know it's not real, bro. I get it. Sorry.
1: It's just it's TV. That's all it is. <laughs> Speaking like better. Did
0: Better Call Saul have its finale yet? No, but I saw something today and I knew you I know you mentioned it even without saying it. Um, it seems that. Uh, I guess Cranston and Paul are making an appearance like you said oh yeah it's got to end that way so they're not telling you how they're going to be introduced but they're about halfway through the season right now and you know it shows you the, the arc of Saul so our Saul gets kind of introduced in the second season of or late, late first season of Breaking Bed and he's a very interesting character you know Odin Kirk's great playing him um, he's obviously not the main guy but he, he adds comic relief and it kind of shows you how he came about, you know, he's an Irish guy, Jimmy McGill, and he takes this Jewish name and becomes a pseudo-Jewish lawyer called Saul Goodman. And it shows you how he started, how his brother was, you know, his brother was Lenny from uh, uh, Laverne and Shirley, and he was a very successful lawyer. And um, it shows you the arc of how Jimmy McGill became Saul Goodman and I became this the shyster type guy or how his origins were. Um, they're about halfway through. They're kind of getting to the point where, I guess the timeline of, of, of Breaking Bad was 2008. That's when the series started. Better Call Saul, I guess, preceded that by like maybe five to 10 years. So they're almost to the point where they're intersecting the beginning of Breaking Bad. And I'm guessing that Heisenberg and the other guy are probably going to show up in the next two or three episodes. So it's, I think it's the best show on TV. You know, obviously I'm, I'm a little biased because I, I love Breaking Bad. And, you know, I think this is fantastic. But uh, other than the winning time, Mike, and, you know, always awkward for me, you know, I, I got to be honest with you, I think it's probably one of the better TV shows on TV, if not the best, in my opinion, you know, I mean, I'm sure there are others out there that people throw out there, but I enjoy it, you know, I mean, if you're a Breaking Bad fan, or even if a casual fan, you know, even if you want to watch Better Call Saul as a standalone series, I think you, I think you, I think you get a lot of enjoyment out of it, there's so many funny parts about it, I think your brother Brian uh, watched it, right? Yeah, my brother's, uh, I think both of my brothers are watching it. They like yeah. the show. Yeah, yeah. Well, the funny, I, thing, the funny thing is you've got parts of law enforcement, right? So you've got the cartel piece, like in the Ozark. And then you've got the lawyer world, which I think Kevin would, you know, really be interested in. So Saul Goodman, Jimmy McGill, is a lawyer. And it shows you, it's like two, it's like two stories. Like they show you the cartel stuff, like they did in Ozark. And then they show you, well, Marty's, Marty's an accountant in, in Ozark. This guy's a lawyer. And he shows you the law, the law end of it, uh, of things. So, definitely interesting stuff. Speaking of the law world, you know something that I don't think really affects us—maybe our kids right now. Roe v. Versus Wade looks like it may go by the wayside. And look, I'm not—I'm not, I'm not going to disclose my opinion on air. I'm sure people have it one way or the other. You know, I'm not going to tell anybody what's right, wrong, or different. But the thing that bothers me the most, Mike, is like Balco 25 years ago or 20 years ago. You know, it seems like a law clerk or a justice leaked, you know, the Supreme Court's opinion, which I'm sure has got political ass, you know, a uh, uh, political bent on it. You know, I'm sure there was a reason for it, but it's kind of effed up. You know, you being in law enforcement, I mean, you you know, you have a case. Yeah,
1: the leak is a is a big deal. And uh, I wonder if they'll I don't, a lot of people are saying they're never going to find out who leaked it.
0: But I got I got to imagine they eventually There's an investigation going on, but it's going to be
1: one it. of those things. Follow the email, I guess, and. Get into it, but it, it really is. It's it's Uh, it's just crazy, crazy, stuff, crazy how it leaked out like that. So like I said, we'll see what happens with that. Um, yeah. We're going to hold on for one second. Let me pause this quick. Yep. Hold on. All right, folks, we are back with a special guest in the house tonight. An Astoria native. A, a legend. A baseball diamond legend of Astoria. The left handed bandit himself. The big, the big man, Matt McCarton What's up, brother?
2: Hey, what's going on, fellas? Good to see it. Good to hear from you guys. Good to see it. Yeah. Been a
0: minute.
1: Yeah. Right. Jeez. Yeah. It's been about 35 years of a minute.
0: Damn. Right, For the folks out there, Matt's a childhood buddy of both me and Mike. We've known each other for 40 plus years. Of all the people from a Mac, bro, Matty is probably the most famous in a lot of different ways. He's a successful businessman, law enforcement, great guy, great baseball player. He's met a ton of celebrities that put me and Mike to shame. Uh, Just all around good guy. We're going to have a good time tonight. We've got a limited amount of time, so we'll let him... Uh, get going here but uh it's good to see you matt
2: i appreciate it, man thanks for uh for prepping me up there it's uh great to hear from you guys and good to see you i mean it's certainly mike says 35 oh, years yeah. i mean is uh 35 <laughs> years even in our
0: vocabulary at this yeah, point? yeah right it's weird it man. To the 40 man i mean i've known you since <laughs> childhood you know five six years old i've known matt um I met Matt, you know, and both me and Mike uh, Met Matt, you know, back in Immaculate Conception, you know, grade school Matt was a fantastic baseball player We ended up going to McClancy With him Um, He entered law enforcement back in the early 90s Um, He got Very close with another McClancy uh, Legend, Sean uh, Sean Twitty Who got very close to uh, A legend beyond legend, Derek Jeter And, uh Matt has a very successful security business. You know, I mean, uh, he puts me and Mike to shame. I mean, uh, at least puts me to shame. Not so much Mike. Mike's a legend as well. But... uh, In my own mind. (laughs) Very, very successful business, man. And uh, a lot of good stories, man. Uh, A lot of the people that we've had on, including Vinny a couple weeks ago. uh, Matt's a friend of his as well, or he knows of him. What's going on, Matt? Ah, man, it's
2: all good. Like I said, it's, uh, you know, it's great to... uh just reminisce about those old times, you know, when you guys had Vinny on the show, it's, uh, <clears throat> I spoke to Sean Twitty about that. And, uh, you know, obviously childhood friends as well. And, you know, we've known each other since, uh, since little league. And we, uh, we always uh, translate our, uh, our success stories and everything we've done moving forward. And it all comes back to the story of Queens. It, it really does. It's just, uh, I think it was uh, a very good thing for us and i'm sure you guys will probably agree that uh you know we we grew up in simplicity and simplicity was good and we got away from that as a, you know as a society and now everything's so uh technological and complicated and you know it's uh you know it it's it definitely creates more problems you know so.
1: yeah could you imagine just everyday after school just going home and playing like online video games No, like, no, it was like, no, man, it was football after school in the schoolyard or wherever. You know, we were doing something. always like doing something stupid. Matt
0: was was the best athlete of all of us. Uh, You ended up, you know, we, like Mike said, we would play after school, you know, in the schoolyards and, you know, the the concrete jungles. We played flag football on the streets. You know, uh, we played tackle football in the parks, baseball when we could with the little leagues at the churches. And Matt took it to a whole other level, man. You know, um, him. There's actually one more guy from McClancy that he's probably on par with him, at least from a, from a, an athlete standpoint. Um, I think he's the, uh, the the hitting coach for uh, uh, for the Chicago Cubs, uh, a gentleman by the name of Anthony Iaposi, who I played uh, I played little league with. You know, at some point Matt did too. You know, he was a shortstop and I was a second baseman. And uh, Matt ended up going to McClancy. He played for the, for the team throughout high school. I guess he went on to college, went into law enforcement. Anthony ended up, uh, I think uh, eventually me, eventually, I guess, breaking into the major leagues, you know, for a cup of tea and he's a, he's a hitting coach now. Um,
2: Yeah. I mean, so Anthony and I, obviously we go way back from, you know, our little league days and uh, you know, still great friends till this day. And, it's just amazing when we all get together, whether it's a, uh, you know, McClancy alumni game or a, uh, but just, uh, you know, an average get together, it just seems like we fall back into that, that old school, like goofing around. And it it just, it's just unbelievable how you can just kind of connect with people after, you know, people's lives get busy and you get caught up in different things and, you know, but baseball and, you know, and like the law enforcement world always just seem to connect and it's, uh, Till this day, I mean, I can say along with you guys, you know, you know, I've, I've established some great friendships over the years and it's been uh, a lot of it had to do with sports. I mean, I really can't say enough about it.
0: You took it to a whole nother level, Matt. I mean, what Matt did was he married sports and he married law enforcement in his knowledge. He's been in law enforcement for 20 plus years like Mike. And um, a lot of a lot of the Mac guys did. You know, we've got guys who went to the FBI, NYPD, Nassau, I believe Suffolk as well. And some are retired, still on the job. But Matt took it to a point where he married the two. And he made a business out of it, and he met baseball royalty, man. You know, he ended mm-hmm. up be, you know becoming involved with one of the greatest New York Yankees of all time, Derek Jeter. And uh, you know, regret of mine is that me and my me and Matt kind of we kind of uh, drifted our own ways for many years. So I guess when I guess Matt really got entwined with him, I didn't get a chance to meet him like some of the other uh, Astoria guys. And he's like one of my favorite ball players of all time, such a class act, you know, uh, tell us a little story, you know, in terms of how you got involved and married the two businesses, Matt, you know, as far yeah. as the sports and, and the law enforcement.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, after, you know, my college career, I had a, you know, I had a full baseball scholarship uh, to New York Tech and uh, went to junior college before that I was all American there two years. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to get a full scholarship. And, then I had a uh, free agent trial with the uh, Houston Astros uh, subsequently soon thereafter. And, you know, after that, um, didn't really pan out too well. You know, I started my, uh, you know, my law enforcement career just like Mike did at a very young age. And, and and you know, through through all that, I've, I used sports through the police department to kind of, you know, make my way as well. But also, um, you know, you keep those old contacts. I mean, uh, you know, prior to social media and and even texting or, you know, phone calls, you know, I run into Sean Tority on the street and, you know, he's playing for the Seattle Mariners. I mean, I mean, you talk about, you guys spoke about, you know, great athletes, you know, in our neighborhood and everything. I mean, there's a guy, I mean, wow. he
0: Phenomenal, man.
2: Yeah. I mean, this guy, you know, he's up there with, you know, the story legends, like, you know, with a Whitey Ford or, you know, you know, guys like that at Dave Valley, you know, there's, there's so many, but I mean, Sean, he's certainly uh you know, he put McClancy on the map in terms of baseball, and he, uh, you know, he he made his way through through the sport. Until this day, he's had a successful uh, career, you know, managing, you know, athletes and and, and taking care of, um, you know, a lot of stuff in the baseball world. So, uh, you know, I'm proud of him. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I commend him for all, all, everything
1: that he's done. It's been great. Now, Matt, quick, are you involved at all with the Jeter's Leaders organization?
2: Yeah, actually, I actually am. So for the last wow, twenty years or so. Uh, so yeah, I would say about twenty years. We got uh, got involved. Sean had asked me to come down and um, uh, help out at one of the camps, and one thing led to another. And uh, Derek has uh, you know the, the GEDAS leaders uh, in uh, New York City as well as Kalamazoo, and it's uh, it's such a great thing. It, it uh, brings different communities together. It gives these kids an opportunity to do some amazing things, some great corporate sponsorships that are involved that, you know, keep these programs up and running. And I was able to, uh, you know, have an opportunity with my guys to, um, obviously, you know, participate in that. And, and really, I mean, just to see it from the outside looking in, it, it was just, uh, it still is, I mean, it was still involved a tremendous experience. So, uh, you know, I wish more athletes today would, uh, you know, would, would, would do these foundations and really get involved and get connected with the community. I feel like it's, it's so, so imperative and it's, uh, it's such an easy thing to do. I mean, listen, there is commitment and when you want to do something, you want to do it right. But, you know, there is a, there is a commitment and, you know, Derek certainly took that, you know, you know, to a different level and, you know, he's probably raised over $30 million in the, uh, you know, in the 20 some ideas that he's, you know, had to turn to foundation. So uh, great accomplishment you know, off the field and obviously, you know, on the field accomplishments. I don't yeah. They get into that. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. My,
1: my neighbors, one of my neighbor's kids is actually in Jeter's leaders. We oh, were just talking you know. the other day and they have the big uh, conference, I think in Michigan coming up in the summer or did, yeah, somewhere in Michigan. I think it's the university of Michigan and the kids going out there. He's been, uh, his daughter has been doing it for a few years now. And they have like yeah. all these uh these conferences and everything. He said it's one of the best things his kid ever got into.
2: Yeah. I mean, wow. we've done some, we've done, we've done some amazing things. I mean, we've been to New Orleans. We've, um, we've uh, revitalized schools and uh, had the kids come down. We've had some corporate sponsorships like, you know, Home Depot and different, different people like that to come down and assist us. And we've, you know, you know, after, after the, uh, the hurricanes down there, there was a lot of, um, you know, there was a lot of heartache down there, and there's a lot of um, work to be done to uh, get those communities up and going. So uh, we pick a project, and we'd go down there, and we'd uh, we'd make it happen. One year we did a baseball field, and uh, you know, it, it's so gratifying and satisfying. And, and the kids, they so, they get so into it, and they're so, you know, they they, they 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 love it. It's just such a great you know feeling of uh, you know satisfaction. So,
0: and I think a lot of that stuff. Um... You know, we brought up with Vidy a couple of weeks ago, Matt. So you've been all over the country. You've rubbed elbows with royalty and baseball and celebrities and stuff. You got a successful business. How often is it that you go to different parts of the country and you run into people that know of Historia or are from Historia or that, you know, do you ever come across that?
2: Oh, all the time. It's it's so crazy. And and, and the truth is most of the people you run into, you know we're just there for a short time. They're not, you know, ingrained, like, like our families for yeah. g- generations. And they're like, Oh, you know, a story or two. And I'm like, yeah, yeah kind
0: of <laughs> a couple of generations.
2: And, yeah. I kind of got to figure it figured out over there. So, uh, it's just
0: me and Vinny were talking about it like a couple of weeks ago. Mike brought it up too. It's like, you go to these different places and my wife, my wife gets really irritated. It's like, it's like you're in North Carolina somewhere in Florida. And it's like, somehow I come across somebody that's from a story or knows of a story. And she's like, Why is it you think that everybody comes from Astoria? Why is it that you always run into somebody from Astoria? Like we could be at Disneyland, you know, like walking online and you come across somebody and somehow it comes up in a random conversation. My wife is like, not everybody's from Astoria. I'm like, you'd be surprised.
1: Yeah, dude, small. Like the guy I just mentioned, Jeter's leaders, his daughter. We started talking. I see this guy all the time when I walk my dog. He walks his dog. I walk my dog. We finally started talking yesterday. He brought up Jeter's leaders and then he grew up on 30th, 31st street and 28th Avenue. There you go. And I was like, are you kidding me? He's like, he's about 10 years older than us. Okay. And it was just like, okay. And he's like, get out of here. I went here. I went there. And so like, like, like you said, you, it it is, it's, it's, it's everywhere.
2: It really is. And, And it just seems like with us, you know, I mean, we, we, you know, from a Mac to McClancy to, uh, you know, onto college. And, you know, you guys have, have have successful careers and I commend you guys for that. You know, good family men. Mm. And, I, you know, I, you know, when, when you look back, you know, you you're always rooting for these story guys. How could you not? Yeah. You know, yeah we, right. were the, we were the underdogs. You know what I mean? We, we grew up in a very diverse, <laughs> diverse neighborhood. We, we were all the same, you know, we were all trying to be somebody and we were all just out there, you know, kicking it on the street with sports and, and stickball and tackle football and cement. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you no, know, you guys remember that? I mean, it was just—it <laughs> uh, was insane. So I, you know, I guess that's why our bodies are hurting us now after, <laughs> after doing all that. So uh,
0: now you're affiliated with MLB too, now, Matt? Is, yeah, is, so, is that what you said?
2: Yeah. So uh, one of the many things that you know I'm involved with. I uh, I also work in the uh, the authentication division of uh, Major League Baseball. So. Back in probably 2006, uh, the FBI did a sting called Operation Bullpen, and they they found that there was so much fictitious uh, memorabilia out there, and so many fans and you know customers and, and and everybody were buying things that were you know that weren't real. So MLB to tackle the problem said, listen, we're gonna we're gonna make an we're gonna make a unit called um, Authenticators Inc., which is a subdivision of MLB, and what they're going to do, what, what, what we do is we basically hologram all these different things, whether it's bats, blo- uh, gloves, uh, cleats, bases, dirt. Um, I mean, you name it. I mean, we're, we're involved with it. There's a whole, and Mike could um, relate to this, a patrol guide procedure for pretty, <laughs> mu- for pretty much everything <laughs> that's involved. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's um, it's a great thing. And, and how it really started, and obviously you guys, will know, you'll, you'll know this name, uh, back in probably 01, Tony Gwynn was um, walking wow. around the San Diego Stadium, and he walked into one of the uh, the shops there, and he he's looking at the stuff, and he goes, "That's What's not that my signature. Yeah. That's not mine. That's not mine." So so again, there were many eyebrows that were raised during during those times, and uh, you know, you had some shady people doing some you know unethical <laughs> stuff there. So so my job is basically to uh, you know at the, at the stadium, we have two authenticators per game. You know, although I'm a Yankee fan, you guys know that, you know, (laughs) since a kid, I, you know, I work for the Mets. It's, it's a lot easier (laughs) for other other reasons, but uh, you know, it's, um, you know, we, we work the games and uh, you know, we make sure that all the stuff is um, legit. We hologram everything. We put things into a database system and uh, you know, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty neat gig, you know, I mean, especially, you know, you're being around baseball still, you're, you're watching the game differently. You're not watching the game per se. It's, it's kind of, different. Sometimes I look up when I'm, I'm doing my, my paperwork and I say, well, what's the score of the game? That's how, that's how differently yeah, I am watching yeah, the game.
0: Yeah, you yeah. Know? Well, I had an interaction in that field a couple of years ago, Matt, I've actually got a, a tape with me and Mike and the mad dog. And it was the night that uh, the day after A-Rod hit his three home runs. And I guess he was signing a whole bunch of autographs and he was declining people. Right. So I called up Mike and the mad dog and I'm like, you know, it's different, you know, today in terms of autographs and memorabilia where, you know, years ago, like you buy an upper deck ticket to Shea or to Yankee Stadium and you get there early and you go near the field with your glove and stuff. And, you know, some random ball players would come by and sign your autograph, whatever. So in the stadium now, and, you know, Mike can attest to this as well. You know, you can't really do that anymore. Like if you've got an upper upper deck ticket or if you got a ticket in, in, in City Field, you're not getting to field level and waiting for these guys to sign. So I got on Mike and the my, Mad Dog, and I, I started complaining. I'm like, you know, the only way that you can really get a lot of this stuff right now is through signed Sports. And Mike was like, what do, you, what do you mean? He goes, look, I'm a collector. I've got a lot of memorabilia from Rivera. I've met a lot of the Yankees and, you know, the old, old Yankees, too, like Mickey Mantle and DiMaggio. He goes, what, do you sell it? I go, no, I have it in my house. You know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a collector. He goes, so what's your point? I go, the point is, you know, when we were kids, you could go up to the stadium and get a lot of these guys and sign for freeware. A lot of it now is for money and a lot of it to the point where you sign this, you know, send this stuff in and you can't get it signed, you know, unless you pay something. Yeah. So he kept on going on and on. And eventually he hung up with me, took my point. And within about 20, 30 minutes, Steiner Sports, the head of Steiner Sports called in and he goes, he was irate. He goes, why are you allowing people to come on my show and disparage my business? Because nobody disparaged your business. The guy was just pointing out, you know, it's a little bit of different. He goes, is it true that? you know, you're charging four or $500 for autographs. And a lot of the times you're not getting to meet the guy, you know, you send in the material, you know, like you said to be authenticated and signed and sent back. He goes, no, no, they do it all the time. I go, you know, I'm listening to this. And I'm like, I mean, you, you can tell from experience, Matt, it it just seems like the whole thing changed, but it was interesting how this guy reacted towards it and how angrily he, he reacted towards it.
2: Yeah. He probably took it, you know, Brandon probably took it differently. And, and, and the truth is, you know what? I mean, how great would it have been, you know, as kids just to, you know, get an autograph straight up from somebody, yeah. you know, you, you have that connection with that player right there at that moment. Mm-hmm. And you know what? And and the player knows deep down there's a good chance, you know, what, you may never have that moment in time with that player and, and that interaction. So, you know, I, I kind of I don't like that. I, 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 I like the old school way. Um, one of the things I, that I've seen over the years, probably in the late late 90s, early 2000s around Yankee Stadium, that these uh, these collectors would uh, give a kid $50 and say, hey, get so-and-so's autograph, and it'd be the same kid every single day. And yeah, the kid yeah, would yeah. sign it, and then, you know, he'd get the 50, and he'd sell it for 250. So, you know, gotcha. that's, it was a case, yeah. It cheap and, you know, cheap. Yeah. In some there's, there's
1: so much. Yeah, that market gets so oversaturated. Like, there's, I'll tell you one quick story. When I first got to the stadium in 02, there was an old time cop there that was there for like 30 years. Mm-hmm. And he talked about autographs. He goes, they're all half, He Goes half of them a fake kid. He goes, I was standing at the press gate one day. He goes, this is like in the 70s when Reggie played. And the other cop goes, they're all fake. And he goes, what do you mean? He goes, get me a baseball right now and he could do a Reggie Jackson autograph. So he did a Reggie Jackson autograph. Reggie comes in, he goes, hey, slugger, did you sign this ball? And Reggie just looked at it quick. He goes, oh, yeah, that's definitely my signature. And he just kept moving He goes, right. Yeah. he goes, it's all it's it, half of it's fake. If you don't see them sign it, he goes. Because what was the old saying back then? The clubhouse balls, they were called. Yeah. <laughs> the kids yeah. that worked in the clubhouse would just mimic the signature or there was a guy in the clubhouse that could do every guy on the team signature and that was it why bother the player
2: yeah it's uh it's unfortunate you know like somewhere along the line you know like a line's got to be drawn i mean with with things and listen you know it always unfortunately everything always comes back to the the almighty dollar and you know like i said with something like that i mean you look at just the other night real quick you know the whole thing with iron judge with you know with that kid in the stands and the toronto fantastic i mean listen i mean that that's I mean, that's that's why baseball is America's pastime, because of of situations like that, not because of, you know, um, other things and rules and this and that. It's it's about those connections. And it goes back to how, you know, our childhoods were formed through sports and through, you know, interactions with, you know, with people, you know, on the street. And, you know, it just kind of all kind of comes together. I mean, for me anyway, I can speak for myself. I
1: I also remember, too like 0203 when Sheffield played, he already had his own hologram on his baseball. He had a little it was a picture of him with a chef's hat on. And that was his he had a hologram sticker. So he knew. And I think bonds, too, at the time when he was chasing the record, every ball he signed, he hologrammed it because I know I only know one guy down there when interleague play was going on that got his autograph and it was a hologram on the sticker from his agent. That's cool, man. That's yeah
0: cool. hey matt did you get a chance to meet ted williams you know i, I never did I, I or like any of the old timers yeah, like uh, i know you obviously with a lot of the new guys you, you met you know obviously but
2: I had, an, I had an opportunity to meet yogi and that was kind of special and you know and obviously you know not too old but joe tory and you know we kind of have that whole queens brooklyn connection and you know right uh, right you know college i mean i'm sorry high school high school catholic baseball and uh you know, it it's, it was kind of cool, and I, I like – I mean, Joe, Joe is great always to speak to. He looks you straight in the eye. He, he got his attention, and uh, he's uh, he's a great guy. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that he had the, the career he had as a player and, and obviously as a manager. So, you know, it's nice.
0: I had the pleasure – you know, I, I think I mentioned this to you off air a couple of times, but I had a pleasure of, like, meeting a lot of the old-timers. I met Whitey Ford, who's from Astoria. And I told Mike on the show a couple of weeks ago where I have an autograph from Whitey and I wanted Whitey to like sign his address on my autograph. Mm-hmm. And, and the daughter was like, oh, he's not doing that. He goes, he'll put your address there. And he goes, what are you, Greek? I go, no, I'm Italian. And he goes, everybody from Astoria is Greek. And he, he was pretty funny, but he, he, wrote, he wrote my address to Whitey, to Chris. I met, get this, at a card show. I met Mickey, Mickey Mantle and Joe D on the same day.
2: Oh wow! Wow! I got
0: DiMaggio's autograph, and then my father couldn't afford for both autographs. So I, when I was done with Joe, I went over to Mickey, and I shucked Mickey's hand. And Mickey's forearms was like as big as you are, Matt. Like two of his forearms was oh, like wow. that's how big he, this guy was. He was wearing like a farmer shirt, and I didn't realize I was maybe twelve or thirteen at the time. But such a cool experience, you know. Oh yeah. For the audience out there, Matt, Matt's met. A multitude of Yankees, you know, he's involved with a lot of these guys, you, you could tell you story upon story, but, you know, the funny thing that me and Mike, you know, me and Mike went to school with him, you know, that's where, and we grew up with him, but it was just, you know, what he's doing with with baseball right now in sports, a lot of his, you know, came about for us was it was ingrained with the church, you know, back, you know, that we went to and, and the grammar school that we went to and the sports leagues, they were kind of intertwined back then. You know, we had something called the ICYP Immaculate Conception Youth Program, which is I guess a precursor for like some of the groups that Mike's kid and, and Matt you know, is involved with these days. And, uh, you know, there's just so many good memories and pictures, you know, even in Vinny's group, the growing up Astoria group, you know, how many times do you see a picture of like, you know, some kid with his little league outfit from ICY- ICYP from like 40, you know, 35, 40 years Ooh. ago. Um, just really, just really weird how that all intertwined yeah. and, you know, speaking, carry it. speaking about
1: like old times, when Chris came on, we started this thing, Matt,
0: and you you remember this
1: dude, whatever happened to Pete Rose. Oh boy. And oh boy. I think the mystery has kind of been solved. Really? Because I, right, I Vin, right, Vinnie cereal was on a couple of weeks ago, right?
2: Yeah. I heard it. Yeah. Yep.
1: And then Chris gets a thing on Facebook of go on the Facebook site and look up this thing. And <laughs> Stop. This is from like 2019. Someone goes, Who remembers Pete Rose? And then like a hundred things come up. And one guy was like, I just saw him two years ago. He looks great. He's like 63 years old. Oh, my
2: God.
0: <laughs> He's still running around the neighborhood.
2: Oh, boy. <laughs> Definitely a, a strange scenario. Well, I'll tell you, there's, uh,
0: there's one character, and, and I'm sure we, we can't really go into all the stories tonight, but there's one <laughs> character I think that rivals Pete Rose. He's a mutual friend for me and Mike and Matt and i gotta be honest he's a great guy but uh patty saint pat you know i'm not going to mention his last name you know obviously i don't want to blow him up here but he's a he's a regular reviewer of the show and he's probably one of matt's oldest friends in the sense that they grew up very close to each other and uh you know when you talk about characters you know like mike mike said i brought up pete rose you know because pete was such a character he was a little bit older than us but i think you know somebody that probably rivals him who hopefully will get on the show one day is pat you know, and uh, you're a childhood buddy of his. You probably know Pat as long, if not longer than I do. You, you know, it's just oh, yeah. such a great guy. Man. <laughs> yeah. Pat's like,
1: I think Pat's like the mayor of Astoria now, because he's he's been there forever. Like him,
0: <laughs> him and his brother Paul are like co-mayors of Astoria. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Dude, those guys are great, man. They're great. Pat, Pat's our age. And you, you've heard me and Michael talk about him on the uh, on the podcast throughout, you know, throughout the show. He watches the show. He critiques it. You know, uh, we've got so many stories, but there's a couple of stories I won't go into tonight. But like I told you offhand that like he uh, he's kind of like revising history. So maybe we can get both of you guys on the show one day and kind of dispel the notion of certain events that happened in our child. (laughs) (laughs) Pat,
2: Pat, the
1: gauntlet's been drawn, Pat. The ball's (laughs) in your court, bro. I'm telling you.
2: Great guys. Great family. I mean, yeah. All these guys we went to school with. It was
1: such, yeah, it was like such a goof going like you look back on it now, and it was like such a goof every day going into school. Yeah. Like it was almost like it was almost like roll call every day. You know? (laughs) Like you go in and like you just busted balls for like
0: all day, you know? Let me ask you both of this. So I mean, I'm partial to a Mac, but we both went to McClancy as well. Mm. Do you think there were more stories that came out of a Mac or more of like you know, Michael, me and Michael have mentioned this. Remember the the Catholic high school movie with uh, Matt uh, Matt Dillon's brother, uh, Heaven Help Us? Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's, that's what McClancy kind of reminded me of. Do you think that you had more good times and more stories out of the Mac or was it more McClancy?
2: Well, I mean, for me, I just think it was just different. I mean, it was like, yeah. we were at that point where it was just like, All right, we have to grow up just a little bit. I mean, you know, and and so now we're in high school. We're getting on the bus and Mm. doing our thing, and we're, you know, we're still trying to find each other. (laughs) And and Chris is laughing. I know why he's laughing. But uh, got some uh, interesting situations. Um, For the
0: folks out there, you know, Matt, Matt and me won't go into the sun here, but the school buses. I think me and Michael brought this up at some point. You know, the school buses were much different back in the uh, you know the '70s and the '80s. So. You know, they had the Bombay windows like around Halloween, all sorts of crazy stuff would go down. The upperclassmen would do some hazing to us, which, you know, God forbid he'd be in jail today if if some of the stuff that happened to us, we saw, you know, happen today. But it was just like, it was like almost a surreal stuff. Like, you know, you'd see like an after school special that, you know, happened on these buses and in these places that, you know, we all went to. Yeah. uh,
2: It's just so funny too. Like, even just like when you talk about meeting people from Astoria and. You know, you, you start bringing up these landmark places like, you know, uh, Ligouli's and, uh, yeah. you know, and different places. And they're like, oh, I know that place. I know Pizza Palace. And, you know, it's just everybody, you know, you could always get the landmarks and, uh, you know, and you always went to Webb's, you know, you went there for, the, for yeah. the uniforms. When, when you couldn't afford a, a baseball jersey, you got a prep, you got the numbers pressed <laughs> on your back. And, and yeah. you, got, you know what I mean? Just yeah. some, little things like that, that, you know, we, uh, it, it, and there was nothing wrong with, with, with all that simplicity stuff. And it just made, I think, everybody look back and appreciate that and maybe work harder, you know, to give, you know, to give your families, you know, a little bit more than maybe what we had. But what we had was just perfect because, um, you know, when you're a kid, you, you really don't need a lot, you know? You really don't.
0: No, you, you know, yeah. me and Mike, we've talked about it too. It's like, you know, like he made the comment about video games. That's what my kid does constantly, you know? And with COVID, it was more pronounced, but... You know, there was a time like, you know, even when COVID first started, you know, and even when, even when Sandy hit, you know, you saw a little bit, you know, where kids, my kids caught glimpses of the way I grew up with you guys, where, you know, you'd go out after school and you'd be playing ball for like four or five hours till, you know, it got dark or, you know, everything was physical, you know, there was interactions with people, you know, there wasn't this video game stuff where, you know, all the technology drove it. I mean, it just it was different, you know, it was much different, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. you know, I gotta be honest with you, man, I'm not blowing smoke. I mean, you've got to probably be the most successful guy coming out of our group. I think, yeah. I mean, not, well, I'll tell you what, Diane down in Florida is doing pretty well. I mean, I don't know, you know, in terms of success, you know, that she has the same level, but she's, you know, she's another girl that we went to school with, with a Mac. I think she's got a whole bunch of successful places in, in Florida and she's been written up, Um, I'm sure there are others, too, that. that Oh, you know who I ran it?
1: You know, I ran into about seven, eight years ago working uh, Rob. TJ's buddy, Rob.
0: Oh, yeah. He's very successful. Yeah, I I I won't. Yeah, I won't
1: drop any last names. But Rob. uh, a pharmacist. yeah. 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 I'm doing I'm doing I'm working in Manhattan. I see a guy who I think is smoking crack. I grab the guy. We go in put the guy in the van. I'm like, man, I got to use the bathroom. Oh, there's a pharmacy right there. I walk into the pharmacy. And I asked the one guy behind the counter. I was like, can I use your bathroom? And as I'm walking to the back, all I hear is, hey, Mike, what's up? I turn <laughs> around and it's, it's Rob. He owns the pharmacy. He mm. owns he owns a pharmacy. Uh, He did own a pharmacy, I think, down on like, uh, I guess it would be like the Chelsea section. Is it Chelsea down by like uh, 23rd Street over there on the west side? So.
2: So Mike, when I'm in the, uh, I'm doing a a patrol many years ago on the midnights and I'm walking to a Seven Eleven, random two in the morning in Syosset, get a cup of coffee to try to, you know, stay awake for through the night. (laughs) And behind me, I hear this laugh and I'm like, I know that laugh. And it's only (laughs) one laugh and it's Chris (laughs) Muscolino. And I said, Oh my God, it's all these years. I never forget that laugh. (laughs) No needless to say, we, uh, we had maybe one or two cups of coffee that night. <laughs> so,
0: Matt and I were, t- were altar boys, so is Michael. And, you know, Pat, who, you know, we just mentioned, likes to make mention that, you know, when I enter a church, the paint peels. Like, you know, I'm like the Antichrist. And I, I do have a unique laugh that's kind of maniacal. My kids actually have it too. My wife hates it. But uh, it's funny, I remember that night. And I remember, I'm like, holy crap, I was working, you know, at a brokerage firm, I guess, in that area. And, uh, you know, Matt's been on the force for many, many years and it was just so great to, to see him. We drifted ways, you know, after, co- after college and high school and stuff. So I hadn't seen him in a while, but it was just so great to see him, you know, kind of happened with Michael too. I mean, me and Michael have been buddies for 40 plus years, but there was a point in time where we kind of drifted apart, you know, families, school and stuff. And just, you know, I, I really, I relish this podcast in the sense that, get to maintain a friendship that like you said about technology and 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 the way we grew up probably wouldn't have existed 20 years ago you know we would have gone our separate ways and maybe you would have come across each other when you visited your parents but for the most part the stuff that we're doing right now you we probably you know the good part of this is you wouldn't have had it 30 years ago unless you crossed paths so i'm kind of thankful for the technology in that point and um you know, it definitely was great running into you that time, you know, and just reacquainting. <laughs> there are other guys in Astoria, too, that I would love, you know, to come across, you know. I mean, Pat, we keep in touch with, and we've had a couple other characters on this show from Astoria as well, including Vinny. And uh, there are many others, you know. I mean, there's a huge Facebook group that we've highlighted in last week or two weeks ago episode, Growing Up Astoria. And uh, I think that, that group is fantastic because, like I told Vinny, it's like you see people – from all different age groups from like our parents age to like, you know, current generations and they all reminisce about a story. It's just so great, you know, in terms of like, you know, reminiscing, um, we're kind of pressed for time here tonight, Matt. So I, you know, obviously I, I don't want to, I don't want to hold you up, but, um, you know, in terms of anything else, was there anything else you wanted to bring up? I mean,
2: no, I just want to, you know, thank you guys for having me on the show and, and catching up and, uh, you know whenever anybody asks me where I'm from, it's a, it's always a story of Queens, no matter where I am now or where I'm <laughs> gonna end up down the road. But yeah it always it always goes back to a story. And if you say, oh where are you from and I say story of Queens because that's you know that's where it all started, you know. So for me it's uh you know I'm proud of that neighborhood and you know I'm proud of all the people that we you know engage and and you know certainly uh happy that you know, everyone that we're involved with is, you know, is, is doing well for themselves. You know, it's, uh, it's definitely, uh, you know, d- difficult out there. And uh, the fact that, you know, we've had so many good stories and heard so many good things about some of our uh, past classmates and, and, you know, and people in the neighborhood, it just, uh, it's good when you, you see somebody from, from, you know, our old hood do well.
0: That's great, man. I mean, I'm so, I'm so happy. I, I all my friends, you know, that are big Yankee fans, I always tell you a story. I'm like, this guy's a fantastic guy. He, he knows baseball royalty, you cool. know? I mean, you know, most of us would give our left arm, you know, like Yankee fans, like me to meet Jeter um, or anybody of that nature. You know, I know you've got a lot of stories besides him as well. And Sean's a great guy. You know, he's another guy, you know, that, you know, a story, a guy that, and again, I I constantly bring you up, you know, in 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 passing with my friends and stuff, and I tell how successful you are, and it always comes back to Astoria, you know, in terms of where we grew up. Um, I always goof about, you know, off air with you, you know, in terms of like, you know, do you ever tell like some of these famous guys like Jeter about Astoria? And you know, it's it's funny how you laugh about it, and you know, you kind of slip it in here and there.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, there's always some good, outrageous, funny stories that I guess whether you're a celebrity or not, you'll certainly appreciate it. Oh, uh, you, you definitely would yeah. appreciate it. I, I, get, a, get a chuckle out of it.
0: I told Mike, I'm, I'm, it's been for, it's been a project of mine. I've been writing a screenplay about Joe Strummer's life, uh, who's the lead singer of The Clash. It's one of my favorite bands of all time. But in the back of my head, I have two or three other projects that I've kind of developed as well. And one of them happens to be, you know, our time is growing up in Astoria. So hopefully at some point, you know, maybe I can develop that story too, because we just have so many so many things I've experienced in that neighborhood that I would like to translate, you know, to like, to like a story. And there's a guy that I guess grew up not too far from us. He kind of did a movie like it. He called, it was called a guide to recognizing his saints, Dito. Yeah. And, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. you know, that was pretty good, but he was a little bit older than us. And that movie, you know, as great as it was and as good as it was, it was a little bit on the darker side. I'd love to go to the other side in the sense, like what we talked about the characters, the stories, the hysterical stuff that happened, and maybe one day we'll get Pat on the show and uh, kind of get to the bottom of the whole Christmas Eve altar boy incident that, oh, boy. uh, that he questions.
1: Candlegate. <laughs>
0: Candlegate.
1: Candlegate. Yeah. Candlegate. <laughs> Candlegate.
0: yeah. Good time. To- We're so happy to have you on, man. You know, Thank oh, you so man. much. Um, you have anything I- to plug any businesses? Uh, we do it every episode.
2: Yeah, it was a pleasure, man. I mean, like I said, um, you know, working my business up front security associates and, uh, you know, we have a you know great security uh, company. We do armed and unarmed guards. We do background checks. We do all kinds of stuff, and uh, we have an office over in Melville. And uh, you know, we're uh, we're doing pretty well with all this stuff, and we're uh, you know trying to take it to a different level. So, uh, you know, it's like everything else. You know, you gotta you gotta hit the pavement. You know, we That's it. we know about hitting the pavement, right? In the yeah. Story. So uh, we always root for the underdogs. You know,
0: the underdog. There's a guy a couple weeks on that, that he, I guess he's from Woodside or Jackson Heights. And I was telling him about how rough his story it was. And he's like, story is like freaking Disneyland. He goes, it's not the hood. You know, you're making that to be like the hood. And I'm like, you know, Michael kind of agreed with me, but he kind of agreed with him too. In the sense that like, you know, block by block, it, it was a nice neighborhood, but, but there was some rough spots too. Yeah. So. You,
2: th- you think about all the, tra- you know, transition, you go through, you know, you. You think about like the break dancing and all that <laughs> stuff. Yeah. All, those, all those different years of yeah, you know, yeah. car batteries being stolen. And you know, I mean, it was, yeah. you know, there was a lot going on, you know. You had yeah. a lot of stuff going on in the 70s, son of Sam and all that stuff. So it was uh certainly interesting. But I want to thank you guys again. It was a pleasure getting with Probably. you guys. Hopefully get together soon, yeah. You know?
0: Definitely Anytime.
2: personally and on the air, you know. So
0: definitely, man. Definitely uh hopefully we can have you on again sometime with uh patty
2: (laughs) yeah Yeah, man that'd be cool all
0: All right right. Mike,
1: take it away man all right Uh, uh, well man we got like 10 seconds so listen thanks for everybody we'll see you next week and patty st pat's the fucking gauntlet's been drawn bro it's been done down it's down
0: you will be (laughs) you will be there (laughs) later (laughs)